In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Orange is lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Dan Kurtzky. Mars, face evil's Hey everyone, this is Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzky. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 444. 444. 444. <laughs> Otherwise known as our Black Widow spoiler review episode. Now for those, and there's probably like three of you out there who do care, that the off off mic homework assignment I was referring to at the close of last episode was Chad Bokelman failing to go see this movie in a timely fashion like he was supposed to. And by luck of the draw, before we even recorded last week, that Dan had already said he was going to see it. So that was that was me asking, giving Chad one last chance to go see this movie or else he was being kicked to the curb for, the, for this week. Yeah, this is my first movie in a theater since, uh, what, year year and change ago at this point yeah yeah since everything shut down in march i think yeah whenever whenever sonic the hedgehog was in theaters that's i went directly from sonic the hedgehog to all of covid to black widow <laughs> yeah and what did we determine was it blood blood sport right blood shot blood shot, blood yeah. shot whatever i always get that wrong blood yeah the vin vin diesel's horror movie uh horror of a superhero movie that was the last <laughs> thing i actually saw in the theater right before right before they shut down. And depending on where people are, obviously some people got to see movies earlier than we did because they opened things back up and then they closed and all the, all this thing, there was never any uniformity. So, so yeah, it makes sense that this was, this was the one that finally drew Dan Kurtzke back to the theater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's part of me, part of me wanted to get back to normal, but another part just wanted to continue the streak because I've seen every single MCU movie in the theaters. So that was good though. That was good that that that, that tradition continued. Yeah, I'm I'm que- I'm seriously questioning whether I'll be able to see the next three that come out before December. <laughs> because of because of actual theaters still being open, or because of interest? No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean. Look, I think I've said somewhere that that we're in a phase. I I don't mean like Marvel phase numbers or whatever, but like. Where the MCU is right now reminds me of where it was around its beginning, where where they can't rely as much on the established properties and they just have to get weird. And like the fact that the next movies coming out are Shang-Chi and then the Eternals, like that's that blows my mind and i don't even know like the eternals are a massive blind spot for me i have no idea what i'm even walking into but i'm i'm excited to find out because like people have to remember like at one point like iron man and guardians of the galaxy were these obscure nothing properties that 
that yeah meant something to comic fans but as far as movie audiences went like this it was the biggest gamble in the world and they both worked out amazingly and now you couldn't imagine marvel without them so i'm really excited to see if they can pull off that trick again with this wave of of obscure no name no name uh just characters and franchises i as i've said before i think their their choice to begin phase four the way they did and not just talking about black widow which obviously we will be but and not even factoring in the whole year of delays on phase four and the fact that phase four technically got it began now with the tv shows but it was never supposed to that it's a very odd choice of of movies, including even even including Black Widow, but to come up with Chang Chi and the Eternals right off the bat, uh, which on the surface we know are going to tie in somewhere to the MCU, but we don't quite know where, and it's probably not going to be as direct a tie as you would think to start with, especially the Eternals. And it seems like it's a very very odd choice to follow up the Infinity Saga with with something that's but characters in that are not even amongst comic fans are not particular. You may know of them, but do you know much about them? So I think that's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting choice and how it's going to play out. And as we'll talk about how black widow has done from a box office perspective, it, it does raise a few potential red flags about what's going to happen, at least until Spider-Man. Spider-Man's about the closest thing to a short thing you're going to get this year out of all of, all of these movies now. Black Widow before the pandemic may have been in the same boat as far as what kind of opening it was going to do. Cause it was trending like into the 125, $150 million opening weekend range right before the world ended from a box office perspective, like in towards the end of February, but that's where it was trending. It was trending into captain Marvel like money. So it would have done fine financially, at least right off the bat, if it had come out on time in a non-pandemic world. But Spider-Man now, the interest in that movie, even without seeing it, one friggin' scene from that movie, the interest in that movie is so high that. But so she- yeah, we'll have to see because like the the MCU in general is in a stage where they're putting a lot of a lot of pieces on the board, new and old, but without really tipping their hat at what their end game is like like we know we know who all the returning players are we know who all the new players are and who's getting movies and who's getting tv shows and where this character will likely show up again and and where that group of characters is gonna go but there isn't like there isn't a sense of a rallying point for any of it yet we don't know what like the big thrust of the mcu is going to be what's the big threat we're building towards who who is going to be an avenger when eventually there's eventually there's gonna be another avengers movie who that group is made of is anybody's guess and i'm honestly a little astonished that we still don't know well you have well that's true but you have to think that that clearly that is part of their plan because not only not only do we basically we have no idea what the avengers are in the post Endgame world. And they've kind of alluded to that before. They've alluded to it in Spider-Man, you know, far from home, you know, Mysterio with the whole, you know, he, he kind of figured his plan was going to work once he realized the Avengers were not showing up in London and the whole idea of, we don't know, you know, this reference and mind you, this is what can, can get annoying if it goes on too long, 
They have no problem referencing the Avengers over and over and over again, even in the Eternals trailer. Arguably, that's the most memorable thing about the Eternals trailer with that little dinner conversation about who's going to lead the Avengers, that they purposely know we care about what the Avengers are going to look like and who are in the Avengers and how, you know, how's how the the accords are still, you know, have they been modified and are they still in place in the post you know, end game world. Have there been changes in on a worldview about they know we care about this stuff, but they're purposely not giving us any of it. And unless the Fantastic Four is going to be a pseudo Avengers like movie to wrap up phase four, we know we're not going to get an Avengers movie in phase four. So it's a, it's it like you said, it's a very different strategy and it's questionable. It's questionable how it's going to work because there's an expectation. People have an expectation that your phases will end with a, a big, you know, a big Avengers movie. To not have any, to not even have any Avengers movie on the docket, you know, all the way through what 2023, I think we have release dates th- for now, and there's no Avengers movie at all yet yeah. being listed. That's really shaky because that's what people, that's what people want. I mean, I know they figure they can, the TV shows will buy them some time. And next year, I you know once you get past the Eternals and Shang Chi, you start getting more mainstream stuff. I mean, obviously, Spider-Man, Thor, and Doctor Strange back to back to back is is good, and then you have Black Panther, and the and the we'll see how the Marvels does. But there's a lot of big, there's a lot of recognizable names on the horizon. Once you get past getting out of the starting gate, problem is the starting gate. You could they could definitely slip and fall right out of the start out of the starting gate, and it depends how quickly they recover. Yeah, I maybe it's maybe it's too generous, but I'm kind of willing to give them leeway with how long they're stringing that along, just because you know. In a world where, you know, 2020 happened differently, we would have been significantly further into this slate of content than we are right now. And I mean, like Black Widow has been on hold now. It's been finished and awaiting for. Has it been a full year? Been over like, a year because that was the yes. May, that, that was the May that was going to be the May release first week in May release in 2020. Yeah, like like there is so much there are there are so many movies and TV shows we would have seen a year ago that we're just finishing seeing now. So I feel like a lot of the frustration is coming just from the fact that schedules got completely destroyed and we had to put everything on hold for for 12 to 18 months and i mean realistically we're getting we're getting stuff in we're going to be getting stuff next year that we should have been talking about tonight you know yeah that's actually true and i think and and it's funny because from a tv show perspective it's probably worked for them because when it is like wandavision wandavision may not have played as well if that had not been our first uh dipping of the pool of the toe back into the mcu pool and that had come second, like it was supposed to, maybe people wouldn't have taken to it the way they did. Even people who had the issues with it starting off slow. But the point is, people people appreciated, I think, its weirdness. But if, had, if we had gotten Falcon and the Winter Soldier first, like we were supposed to, maybe people that, that stark uh, contrast would have had a more dramatic effect and people wouldn't have taken to it. So, so from a TV show perspective, I think they it's kind of been working for them, but it's also been focused on all these characters that we've seen before and we care about. And now you're getting, and even black widow falls into that listing, but now we're going to be getting characters in situations that we don't know who they are. We don't know how they fit into things. And you do have the, and you still have the COVID, not just COVID, but you still have what box office is today. And, and 
how long it's going to take to get back to normal if it does, and then how is how that affects movies that are not sure things that are not oh I need to see this or I want to see this in the theater. You know, things that you don't know enough about to say, well, I could maybe wait on that. Well, speaking of movies that are sure things, I was convinced that it was going to be hard to get to find a uh, a showing of Black Widow that wasn't packed because I figured, OK, A, it's a recognizable MCU character. B, people have been waiting for this move. This movie was held back from us for so long. And C theaters are finally opening up again. So I figure like, all right, everybody who's physically capable is going to go to the movies as many times as humanly possible. And there won't be an empty seat in the house. And when I went like, granted I waited until it looks like the movie was kind of starting to make its way out of the theater or at least out of this local theater near me. Cause you know, they went from having like two shows an hour, every hour of the day to having less than half of that and it was pushed to like the last theater in the aisle with like the smallest screen so like it was on its way out but even then it was there was basically just like me my dad my brother and six other people like scattered around the theater and i i was surprised at that turnout and i actually haven't looked at any uh box office data so i really don't know like has people been going to see this like do people even like it like i have no idea it's a mixed bag. It is. It had it like about eight. I actually have. I have the number here, and let's see if I can. I still have the thing open on my screen. I know it took a screen capture of it too, but it made essentially. It made like about give or take around eighty million dollars. It made eighty million, like eighty point three, in its opening weekend at the box office. Disney Disney also reported that worldwide, not just domestically, it made like another sixty for the premiere access and Disney Plus. So even if you want to chalk it up and be super generous and give about half half the money, just say it's domestic and give it to um, even if you did that, but still you really can't do because it's not an apples to apples comparison and say, oh, it made one hundred and you know, one hundred and ten million dollars really because of you can't say that because you don't know how many of those people would have actually gone to the theater if they had no choice. But to see it in the theater, you can't say for a fact that all that that all yeah, that 30 million dollars out of the 60 Disney you know, that was domestic. You can't say all thirty million dollars of that would have people still would have gone to the theater because. And it also has the same problem that every online, you know, audience metric ever has, which is, hey, that's one download or that's one streaming purchase. How many people were in the room consuming that? Is that is it like you could you could uh, you could pay it once and watch it with like like 20 people or it could just be you by yourself like there's no way to really measure that which kind of prevents you from equating it one-to-one to actual ticket sales i know there were some there, i think there were some numbers that imply that disney, that disney did have a little bit of that info but again you really can unless you're literally unless it's like big brother where you're literally watching people watch your movie that you're right you can't i mean plus it conveniently enough they only announced i think the disney plus numbers in in week one because of course that's where they were going to get the majority of people buying it because you have it i mean once you have it you can watch it over and over again at least for like a month and and or until it leaves disney until it leaves disney premiere access and then a disney plus and eventually it'll come back and then you can watch it normally but so i had it did 80.3 million in its first week it had a 67 percent almost 68 percent drop in week two so i went all the way down to 25.8 
And now the, the weekend you just went to see it, it went down to 11, 11.6. So as we speak, not counting any box office, it's done on today on uh, Monday. It's basically a hair under 155 million domestically. It's so it's doing okay. It's not doing great. I thought it would have a better opening weekend. A lot of people did once you saw what the Thursday night box office was for it. And then once you got to the Friday box office, which was like about 39, 39, six or something, people said, oh, it's on track for a hundred million dollars. But it really dropped off on Saturday and Sunday or more aptly put, it made about $67 million Friday through truly Friday through Sunday, but there was an extra 13.1 thrown in from the Thursday night previous. So if you just look at it from that perspective, it didn't, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday were fairly consistent. It's just that they had a boost into their Friday numbers to start with from, from the Thursday previews. So it's it's doing okay. I think it has like around a $200 million budget. So the odds are it's going, you know, the traditional, the historical model would traditionally would say you have to make twice as much than your production budget to be break even. Nowadays, I think they often say it's more like three times because of uh, the because the advertising budgets are probably bigger and, wow. and a lot of the X factors I think have increased now. So the odds are realistically speaking, this movie's probably not going to make $600 million world, worldwide. It hasn't been released in China yet. It technically has been approved for release in China, but it hasn't been released yet. And of course, because of all the potentially really good copies of bootlegging or from bootlegging for this movie, the longer it takes for this to be released in China, probably the less likely you're going to get a nice box office sum from China. I don't know why Black Widow in particular had an issue with China, unless Dis- I think China just has had having an issue with Disney these days. So they may be playing, playing hardball going back to Mulan and there, and I don't think Shang Chi doesn't have a release date yet or not, hasn't been approved either. I don't think because they're concerned about the portrayal of Chinese people and the Eternals is never going to be released because of the director. That's never going to see the light of day in China. It would be stunning if that ever happened. So oh, who's seemed, what's with the director? I forget her name, but she's the one that won the Academy. She just won the, the Oscar, but she's, she is Chi- She is Chinese, but she, you know, it's completely and understandably so completely anti-communist China in the government. Oh, okay. so, so she, so because of that can take it to the bank that the Eternals is never going to be approved for release in China. So, I think Disney, I think Disney and China are kind of like loggerheads here. And I think that's part of the issue because Black Widow would make no sense. Why? Unless it was because of COVID delays and for originally. But I don't see why that movie wouldn't have been released by now in China. So it's doing okay. I thought it would have had like a hundred hundred million dollar opening weekend. It probably would have had at least a hundred if it wasn't for the whole Disney plus availability. I mean, F9 did like 70 million and F9 had been released like overseas for like a a month in advance. Everybody knew it basically sucked before it came (laughs) out. So the word of mouth was really bad on it, which was justifiable, mind you, based on my me seeing it. I thought that was my my least favorite, probably fast movie period in the entire franchise. But that movie still made 70 million dollars domestically. Black Widow, because the pent up demand for Marvel content and because she even though it is a prequel, but because of the general gen, the genuine interest and affection for Natasha, it did seem odd to me that that movie didn't didn't do better. But maybe when yeah. we talk about it, we'll maybe be able to figure figure out some reasons why. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what you have to say because, like, I guess 
I guess foreshadowing my own thoughts here, I, I I look at the the sum total of this movie and I see something that you know its low numbers must be due to external forces because as Marvel movies go, like this wasn't a bad one. No. Like I don't I don't I just don't know how to to manage expectations for movie theaters anymore both between the fact that I don't know how many of them are still open and the fact that I don't know how many people are willing to go to them between between I guess between a Disney Plus making these things available for a price and just general hesitancy because of COVID. I know no matter what the answer is, somebody is going to look at this and say, see, you, we were right. Women can't lead action movies. Ha ha. Like a jackass. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, some I like I mean, some people do. I mean, some. Well, let's put it this way. Some people, I don't think there's many really that try to spin it and actually believe that. But there's certainly going to be a lot of people that will that it will take any if it does. If if something doesn't do as well as they want it to do, they'll turn around and make it seem like, oh, there's. Men just don't want to support women in, in these roles, which is, you know, the reality is in it. The thing that's frustrating when they go off on that tangent is the fact that who do you think goes to see the majority of action movies? It's men. <laughs> your your audience is men. So like when Terminator Dark Fate came out and the stupid director said, oh, if you're not going to see this movie or you don't like it, it's because, you you know, you don't like a strong female lead. It's like, oh, you're a misogynist. It's like, do you do you did you not do you know the franchise you're talking about with Sarah Connor? Did and Terminator and Terminator 2 did men, you know the the fans of Terminator have an issue with that who who are fans of Terminator friggin men men make up the Terminator fan base predominantly same like Alien with with, with uh Ripley it's like just because somebody doesn't like your movie or doesn't think it works does not necessarily mean they hate friggin women or they are they misogynist maybe they just hate your fucking movie or what you did yeah. or the way you wrote it or they don't like your approach but it's too easy these people to go down that road and say up 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 or if a movie or spinning it differently, if a movie doesn't do it, doesn't doesn't do as well, people can say, oh, see, that's because I, regardless of why it's like, you know, women just, you know, women just can't be super, you know, action heroes. And it's like so you look at this movie getting into this movie finally a little bit, uh, which <laughs> which is fine because this has been interesting. But for, for, for other people, I might not think so. I guess I may actually have to do a timestamp on this one. Then <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. Uh, I think. You look at this movie and I thought this movie was this movie is fine. Is it great? No. Is it the worst Marvel movie? No. Is it near the top? I would say no. It's definitely towards the middle, middle tier, maybe bottom middle to me. I haven't done a re-ranking of MCU movies in a while. But oh boy. <laughs> but I'm thinking I'm thinking probably by the time the Eternals comes out, it'll be time to do a do a complete re-ranking from top to bottom again at this point. But it's hard to imagine what is this? The 24th MCU movie? Somewhere something around that. Like th- something like that. I think Spider-Man was either 23 or whatever. Either way, I would guess just by thinking of all the movies I like better than this one off the top of my head. To me, this is probably going to be in the bottom 10 of what we've seen. And maybe even in maybe in the bottom <laughs> five, which doesn't mean I hate it. It just means it's still going to be above the two Iron Man sequels in the Dark World. But it's kind of off the top of my head. It's kind of hard to figure. And maybe, well... Captain Marvel didn't do that much for me either. So maybe it's kind of in that range. And I'd like this better than Captain Marvel, but I would probably put it, I'm going to be, I'll just stick to that. I know it's in the, it would be in the bottom 10 that of, of the movies that have come out so far. I think I'm in, I'm almost the exact opposite. Like, I don't think it's, it's necessarily a top 10. 
I also can't think of all of them off the top of my head, but um, I think like, I think it's like, like upper middle kind of like before you crack into like the best of the best. It's like, kind of like it's, it's better than average, but not great. You know? I think that, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I think part to me, I think why the box office is why it where it is with this movie. I think that's a great that sums it up perfectly. That and it goes along with the word that kept coming into my mind, and I mentioned this to Jim when we were having our as much as we could talk about it since he hasn't seen it yet. That the word that keep kept coming into my head about this movie was inconsequential because the story we're seeing itself is really, really not super important. As compared to a lot of the other stories we've seen in the MCU, this is not universal threat. This is not worldwide end of the world threat. This is really Natasha taking out her garbage, with, which just have ramifications because of it. But it's just it's one of those things where if they fail on this, you know, there's other people to clean this up at some point. And it's all and it's also the fact that, number one, one of the things that works against this movie is even though it's ironic because you kind of get the story you kind of get the story in this movie. It's just not what the movie's about is that when they talked about the, the black widow prequel, most pe- people w- wanted to see the Budapest Budapest oh, yeah. story. Uh, but you really don't get that in this movie. That's all okay. you get it. You get, you find out the gist of what happened there, but you don't see it, uh, which also was interesting that I, I, I found it interesting that they still make that he, she and Clint both make so many jokes about Budapest, considering exactly what her, what she was involved in doing in Budapest. Based on what we find out in this movie, that's not so. That's really not as uh, hard joking about it. Makes a lot less sense, considering seemingly what a big deal that was. And yeah, that's one of those hey, like uh, you know, we we like to believe these things are all planned out from the beginning, but when they made when they wrote those those Budapest lines, they had no idea what happened in Budapest. Yeah, and and the fa- and the fact the fact that it's a prequel automatically see that when it comes to prequels, there's like you you have to have you have one one way or the other you have to reach this point when it comes to a prequel, and I'll I'll use Star Wars as an example. Yay! But it works because because there's two <laughs> ways of looking at prequels and and or or because they're both it works because both of these are prequels. Now the actual th- original three the prequel trilogy, there was a built-in audience for that trilogy. People wanted to see those events. Not necessarily everything we got the way we got them. That's a different story about you know how people in their minds I imagine these movies versus what we actually got from George Lucas. But the idea of seeing Anakin become Vader, the rise of the Empire, the fall of the Republic and the Jedi, young, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship, all the, there was a built-in audience for that. You didn't have to sell people on knowing that story was important. Compare that to Rogue One, where I think a lot of people, when they announced Rogue One, it's like, do we really need to see that story? Do we need to see, is it a big deal to see how Princess Leia got the plans? But then you see the movie, and for me anyway, it's like, well, you know what? I never really thought I needed to see that story, but now that I have, I'm glad that I did. Yeah, it was a cool movie. Right. So you have to fit in. So a prequel has to pretty much fall into one of those areas. And the problem is with Black Widow, I don't think there was a big demand to see a Black Widow prequel. And now that you see this story and what you actually get, it's not <laughs> like if you didn't see it, you would you would miss out on something substantial and important and understanding <laughs> Natasha. Does it help a little bit? Sure. It helps a little bit that you 
and understand and it reinforces why the Avengers as her second family was so important to her. It shows the the growth of her softening of Natasha from where she was when she was younger to where she is, but from her relationships with the Avengers, generally speaking, and specifically with with Clint and with Cap, with Steve. Her relationship with Steve had a big effect morally uh, on her, on influencing her. So I think so. It is, it so it helps. But to me, the re- it's inconsequential because the reason this movie really, truly exists is just to, is for world building, to give us all these other characters that we never saw before. But now we have so they can go back and use these characters in future MCU projects. And now we know who they are without having to introduce them. So we know yeah. Yelena. It was mostly about introducing Yelena, which is fine because she's she was a great character. And Florence Pugh is awesome and everything. But. She pretty much stole this movie, which is part of the neg. I mean, Scarlett Johansson is fine, like she always is, but she kind of gets overshadowed by Florence Pugh. And arguably, even though David Harbour is not I'm not a big David Harbour guy, but I think he stole a lot of, you know, when he was on the screen, he kind of was he stole a lot of that uh, thunder, I think, from her, too. But it really just exists to give us all these characters that we know we're going to see Yelena um, back in uh, the uh, Hawkeye show. But it can probably take it to the bank. We're going to see Red Guardian and Melina and, and some of probably the other Black Widows and Taskmaster, Taskmaster for sure. We're going to see again. So that's that's part of the issue for me with this movie is that it just exists to give us characters <clears throat> that are going to be they're going to mine down the road. But the story itself, if we didn't see the story, I don't think anybody now having seen it, I don't think we'd go. Yeah, man, I really I, I really needed to see that story. Yeah. Well, I mean. You hit on two big points. I mean, the first for me is that I kind of like the fact that it wasn't a big end of the world. Everything relies on us kind of thing. Like, like that's good sometimes, but it's not good all the time. And like, I kind of like the fact that, oh, you're going to do a Black Widow solo movie. It can just be a be a crazy spy thriller. You're the same way that when I watch Ant-Man, I want to see a a kooky heist movie you know like this the stakes can be low on a on a overall world scale as long as they really matter to the main characters that's that i don't have a problem with i do think it was a little egregious to to like i i'm 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 of two minds about it because on the one hand i love the fact that they introduced so many new new players onto the board and then kind of scattered them to the winds like like the fact that by the end of this movie there's a bus full of black widows that are good guys now is kind of a cool element that they could deploy in so many different ways down the line at the same time i cut like it the timing of this movie does emphasize that that was at least half the point and the other half of the point might have been to like to finish out contractual obligations with Scarlett Johansson. I don't know how that works out, but um, you were right in that nobody was, was demanding a black widow prequel movie, but there were people demanding a black widow movie and they waited so long to get around to it that the, it had to be a prequel because her character is canonically dead. Right. And I was watching this movie. I walked away from this movie feeling kind of disappointed because I was hoping that there would be something about the story or the storytelling or just the way they handled it in general that would make it matter 
that this story was being told after we saw her die. Like, you know, people always, you know, you bring up the Star Wars prequels. People always debate about, you know, what order should you re- watch these these uh these nine films in what order should you do? Should you do the, the original trilogy first? Should you do the prequel trilogy first? And I don't know how you feel about it, but as far as I'm concerned, you should watch them in release order because those prequels were made with the understanding that you already saw the originals. So they have a con they are they're under it is understood by the filmmakers that the audience is going to bring a certain level of context and knowledge with them so that certain scenes and moments will hit harder or or not maybe not even hit harder but like they'll resonate in a way that they wouldn't if you had never heard of star wars before and then just sat down to watch the phantom menace and with black widow I've seen everything this character has ever been in on the big screen, and it it kind of didn't seem to matter that this came when it did. And like, I'm not even sure what I was, what I would have wanted them to include or nod to or or anything. But it struck me as the as as a when was like during that final not the final shot, but like once the police were showing up and she's sort of standing by herself in the sunset. And it kind of hit me like, Oh, right. This is probably the last time we're ever going to see this character. I mean, they could always walk it back somehow, but it might be the last time. And I just started to think about the movie in the, in that context. And at least in that way, it was really unsatisfying. The thing, well, one of the reasons to me, that's the ending of the movie, but what I, I mean, the, not the very last scene before we cut to credits, because we'll talk about that too. But I mean, the last scene of the main action in the movie, when it pretty much, when they've taken care of the red, you know, the floating red room, which miraculously nobody can seem to find, even though it's in the, in the air and we have satellites <laughs> and we have all this technology. But well, it, it was cloudy, Mark. Yeah, it was cloudy. It, it's true. And it's, it, it, it's Russia. They never have sunny days. So I guess it's, it's like London. So I guess, I guess they were safe. But one of the things that was very unsatisfying is the fact that she's standing there at the end and she's waiting for Ross to show up. Now, mind you, this is their this is their out so they can do another prequel if they want to because there's a two week gap between the end of the actual events in this movie and the last time yeah. we see her. But that's say, but in a way, that's more almost more interesting than the whole movie because what the hell did she say to Thunderbolt Ross that did that prevented her from getting her ass thrown into Slammer? Because we know he's not exactly Mister Flexibility on his on his worldview on things. She was literally. See, waiting- I was- I was hoping you knew this because I was going to show up and ask you what the hell happened at the end. Why didn't Natasha go with all of the others? Why did she stay and talk to the cops? Why? And why was she walking around free two weeks later? Like, did she did she like turn herself in and then break out of jail? Like, what what the hell? No, I don't think I don't think we are supposed to know. And certainly based on everything I've and I think I've seen everything, too. No, we're, we're we're not supposed to know because it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. You know, when the movie begins with Ross trying to track her down, which makes perfect sense, because one of the things I almost said this in the non-spoiler review, the, you know, the mini review. But it's relevant to point out here just because it's it's interesting that we all well, most people knew this. They were saying this this prequel took place between Civil War and Infinity War. But really, in the context of what we see on screen before you get to the post credit scene, 
this entire movie really takes place during the events of what we see on screen in Civil War, because it all takes place post airport battle in Germany and before Cap shows up at the raft to help get Sam and everybody out. Because yeah, because she because she's taking the jet to, to go be. break out the Avengers, which is what Cap was doing in the after credit scene of Civil War. Before the after credit. I think that was before the after credit scene. That was I think that oh, was yeah. when remember, that's when Tony's reading the letter. Yeah, 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 reading the letter. So the retcon and I and I had heard there was a retcon that people might be upset about. And I don't consider it a retcon. I consider it a Jeff con because you're just you're <laughs> adding because they're adding stuff that you haven't seen before. But it doesn't change anything that to me, you don't take that as saying, oh, Steve wasn't involved in helping bust them out of the raft. No, we saw that. We know he was there. All this does is say that, that Natasha was involved in helping him, which makes sense because Natasha ever since from the end of Age of Ultron. Natasha basically was Steve's second in command. So so all during their time on the Avengers, when Cap was leading, she was in second in command. And then once she chose to go with Cap, which made sense and reunited with him during the whole secret Avenger time, she was clearly second in command. So that makes sense that she would be in. I almost thought there was a missed up. They wouldn't have done this because because you wouldn't want the way things are going with Marvel because he probably wouldn't want to have a strong male character because every male character in this movie is not strong. <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted to. I almost thought there was a missed opportunity not to almost like see the spat, like from, from behind, see Cap on that jet, like when she was about to get on. Cause it didn't mm-hmm. have to be Chris Evans. Just had to basically, you see the back of the uniform and you knew it was Steve. So they were together, they were together, but either way it's implied that she, she just helped him somehow when way, shape or form, she helped him get those, you know, do the breakout on the raft. So, so the entire movie takes place technically between things we see in the in Civil War, which is fine. It, it's interesting. It wasn't what I was expecting, but it it's fine. But now we have that two week gap from the end of the actual event, from when we see her, you know, at the end of destruction of the Red Room until she's wearing Yelena's vest and she's got her short blonde hair now and she's getting what's going to be the Secret Avengers jet. So there's a two weeks where they can do another story if they wanted to. And they leave us like, what the hell did she say to Thunderbolt Ross to convince her not to throw her ass in, in the jail? In a way, that's more interesting than everything we saw on screen. In a way, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not even, and I'm not being mean. I'm just saying kind, it kind of is as far as from an because that's such a question mark, knowing how did she convince what did she say to convince him not not to just throw her ass in jail at that point? It's interesting. And I'm sure we'll get the answer at some point, whether it's in another movie or not. I'm sure we will. But to, that struck me right off the bat. It's like, especially because she decided to just wait there. And then they decided and then they purposely don't show us that com- that uh, confrontation. I'm hoping I mean, I assume the only thing I could think was that she told him what that wreckage was. Or I mean, hell, she she copied all of its information onto that flash drive. So I I forget now if she gave that flash drive to to Yelena or if she still had a copy on her, like there's, there's a bargaining chips that he, she can play with. Um, but I can't, part of me hopes that it, we find that out if, and when they ever pursue like a dark Avengers kind of storyline, because I'm, I'm, this was, I think it, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was their first attempt at a, well, I guess Captain Marvel was, but like th- them going back and filling in gaps in their own continuity with entire movies is something that I don't necessarily like. And I kind of don't want them to do it again all that soon. <laughs> I do. Th- yeah, I do think you, you were correct about that. And we don't and we don't and we don't see we don't know the time frame for Shang-Chi or for the Eternals. 
So obviously we know part of the Eternals at least takes place post Endgame because that whole conversation, assuming that scenes in the movie about who's going to lead the Avengers. So we know that it's post Tony, post post Steve's uh, fate at the end of Endgame. We don't know about Shang-Chi because I had heard rumors that that movie took place between the uh, the gap between um, either between yeah between end between uh, Infinity War and Endgame. I had heard that that five that the five year gap that that. I had heard a rumor at least that that's when that movie was supposed to take place. And I like it when they do period pieces. Like I like that, that, you know, you do the first Captain America movie was in the forties and, and Captain Marvel was in the what nineties, I think. And, and like, so like, if you want to do something like that, like, you know, if you want to come along and say like, all right, we have a, we have a story to tell and it, it makes the most sense for it to take place in like 2002 or whatever, do it. That's great. But like the idea that they could come along and be like, well, we know Black Widow's dead, but we left this back door in so that we could get Scarlett Johansson back and tell a story of what happened during this mystery two weeks. Like, I, do, I really don't want that. I, I just it feels like it feels like they know they missed an opportunity to, to, to do solo movies with her before they killed her character off. And are just trying to like weasel around it. That's probably true. I also don't know when they would fit that. I mean, depend depends what their plans are. But we we already know pretty much what their you know what their release schedule is going to be, give or take, through the next two years. So it would be, and again, and I'm not saying this to be mean because she's still gorgeous. But the reality is, if you're going to keep doing these prequels, at some point you are going to have to de-age her. You don't have to do it now. You, you may not have to do it to do a sequel to this movie, but even when they were trying to do the flashbacks to, you know, to, to Budapest, I mean, we all get older. The reality is Scarlett Johansson doesn't look like uh, Iron Man two Scarlett Johansson anymore. Oh God. I mean, have you, have you looked at Iron Man one Robert Downey Jr. lately? It's no, like a I different know. person. Or, 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 or uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, as well as he's aged overall, you go back and you look at how he looked in days of future past and you compare, uh, compare him to the first X-Men movie. It's like, yeah, this it's night and day. So, which is harder for that character because that character is not supposed to age, <laughs> really. Oh God, it's it's the funniest thing in the world to look at, specifically TV shows that have characters that are supposed to be immortal, and just look at them in their first appearance when they're like, they're like 22 years old and in the best shape of their lives, to you know, 10 years later when they're still playing the same character. Like <laughs> when I when I was in high school. Me and my friends really liked like Buffy and Angel and watching David Boreanaz go from like the the most physically fit young guy in the world to, well, he's he's clearly like middle aged and a lot wider now. And and meanwhile, his character is supposed to be an ageless, immortal vampire. (laughs) You you just kind of have to not think about that stuff. <laughs> no, I, I I get it. it, it it's all it's also similar to something like like Mash that lasted like for eleven years, but in real time only like the whole thing, the whole war was only like two years long, two years long. And it's like Hawkeye wasn't all gray in two years from the in, in a real war. I mean, I know war is hell, but I mean he didn't he didn't age eleven years in two years. But yeah, I I I I know, but it but it. It does, especially when they did the flash, when they did the flashback scene to the stuff in Budapest. And probably, I guess that's something we probably should at least give a basic rundown of what the, the plot is. 
what well, well, yeah, was sure. in, this, in this movie. Uh, since I didn't, I really avoid even in the spoiler, you know, non the non spoiler mini review, I didn't. So you you pick up shortly after. Again, shortly after Natasha goes her separate ways from Tony, you assume, after that com- last conversation they have in Civil War, that Th- Thunderbolt Ross is after her. She uses some of her spy connections, basically, to go to go on the to go on the run. And we get introduced to well, the, the very first scene of the movie, which I thought was really I thought was very too long. I thought that prologue was too long. But show it takes you back to the 90s with when she and Yelena and. Uh, Red Guardian and, and Melina, who is you know the the, the architect of the, the of the Black Widows in the Red Room, pretty much, that they were all undercover in Ohio, which is so I guess it's one of the built-in excuses for maybe why Natasha's Russian accent has faded away so well. <laughs> uh, but the fact that we have this long, they were undercover in Ohio, and then they had to, and then they had to leave, and stealing the you know stealing the information that I guess helped. That that that, was, that led all to the the mind control, right? The stuff that he stole yeah, the, on the disc. The, yeah, the th- the reason they they were in in uh basically Red Guardian, I forget his character's name, but he was he was planted there with a fake family so that he could infiltrate this you know whatever this base was and steal the information that they would need to perfect the uh like the like mental conditioning programs that they would need to create their own like super soldiers or black widows. And he also like, he destroyed the facility. So the only copy that exists is the one that he was bringing back to his superiors. Because the the black widow program went through changes from when Natasha basically, which was, was kind of like brainwashing condition, but she wasn't, but she wasn't being literally, but she wasn't being like a flip of a switch, get them you know, physically controlled to do this. And then at any given moment, they can physically get you to do anything you want. It's just based on but, training and conditioning. But then they moved it to a new level to, in order to create the, a new wave of Black Widows that could just... Which could, which was her fault. Because, because she escaped, they turned everything up to 11, both in terms of security and conditioning. They weren't satisfied to just use regular psychological techniques anymore now they wanted to hardwire you into be being an obedient drone correct so she so so there's guilt there's guilt there uh she becomes aware of all this because after you know because yelena is one of the ones that is 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 being mind controlled and then another black widow would basically escape conveniently enough they had synthesized uh a chemical that could that if you basically you breathe it, that you could, it would basically deactivate and free you from the influence of uh, the chip or whatever the hell they conditioned you to with. And before, and this this escaped Black Widow dies thanks to Yelena, but she's able to by by in the process of them fighting, she ends up inhaling this cure, so she's freed. She takes the rest of the cures, she sends them to Natasha, thinking it's going to be safe. Not that Natasha really knows what the hell at this point, what any of this stuff is, but the taskmaster comes looking for her. It just, then she goes in Budapest that she figures the the hint is there, the message to go to Budapest. She and Yelena reunite. There's a lot of cool stuff between the two of them. Yelena is a pretty cool character and she is funny as hell. And essentially they're, they're a false family, including um, Melina, which is the Rachel Wise character and Red Guardian, who's in prison. 
which I thought was interesting. Did, did you watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier? The show? I did, yes. Okay. I, it doesn't surprise me that, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, and it doesn't surprise me that, that I haven't really, I didn't really see anybody else think about, or talk about this analogy. But to me, when I saw him locked up in jail, I thought that there was, there certainly was an Isaiah Bradley analogy that could have been made because basically both in both cases, they were used up and spit out. And they also, because they, they viewed things a little differently, they were viewed a little too dangerously. So it's like, Oh, let's keep them on ice. And it's about the best kind of like the best we can do with this guy is keep him in prison. Yeah. I could kind of see that. So basically they, they, they end up busting every, they all get reunited and they end up working together to take down Dr- Drakov in the red room. Now Drakov was supposedly dead and technically we didn't see his body at the end of this movie. <laughs> I think he's really dead. At I the do end. too, I mean, but I'm just saying, for the sake of argument, that I mean, in the in the flashback, we know we know that he was supposed to be in the room when it exploded, but we didn't see him because we were outside and didn't have a view. This time, we saw he was in a helicopter as it was, his body was being engulfed by flames and the helicopter exploded his his glasses even flew out towards the screen <laughs> it, i part of me thought they were going to try and force post-conversion this to 3d just to have his glasses fly right at you well it wasn't i mean you could have seen it in 3d i know we had we had 3d showings oh, I, I couldn't God. i know i didn't remember seeing that much in that movie which would have made it work even if the 3d was good i don't remember much coming at the screen unless they were going to do the backwards depth yeah, maybe. Sometimes. But I'm, I'm a, I, all kidding aside. Yes, I agree. I agree that he's that he's probably dead. But for someone who's a great assassin, you know, she really botched that job, that Budapest job. Not only didn't she kill Drakov, that she was willing to sacrifice Drakov's daughter in order to make sure she killed Drakov. And she didn't kill Drakov's <laughs> daughter either because she becomes Taskmaster. Master. I don't know why I can't say that tonight. Taskmaster. Uh, but eventually they come, they, they confront, you know, they confront. Uh, they find the, the red room. They they free all the Black Widows and Taskmaster, who is also being controlled. And they kind of give her they do a revisionist history on her origins. He would normally just be able to view and, and absorb and adapt and learn people's fighting styles instantaneously just by watching. That's by watching. But it's not an, an inherent gift or anything to this Taskmaster. That's one of these computer one of these enhanced features from being like like a like a cyborg like a cyborg. Uh, that's the reason why the Jacob's daughter version is able to do what she does, but she's freed from the control too. We don't know what's going to happen with her. We don't know what's going to happen with the other black widows. Melena really got off uh, scot-free considering all the crap she was doing in this, including torturing a friggin' pig right in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Right, uh, yeah so can I say, I, hook. I was really out when uh, in the after credit scene, when, when Yelena, it gets out of the car and she has her dog with her. I'm like, oh, that could have been a pet pig. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a that was a little disturbing. That was a little disturbing, especially. And you know, what? she it's it's all owned by Disney. She could have had a pet pig named Porkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. But at least at least she didn't actually kill. At least she didn't actually kill the pig. So you you. you there are tons, obviously, there are tons of Avenger name drops in this movie, which you would, which I guess, again, based on the time frame this movie exists in, considering literally this, this is every, the Avengers are on everybody's mind more than usual because they just had the very public breakup. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, after a while, it almost seemed like it was self-serving because, again, going along with the idea of we don't know what the Avengers are, they're going out of their way not to give us any idea in the MCU right now 
what the Avengers are, but they're kind of like, and here's our Green Lantern reference for the episode. It's like it's kind of like in the '90s when, when Hal was the dirty word, and they didn't want to give you anything Hal or stir up any idea that Hal could be back. But they sure as hell were, had no problem putting out Hal Jordan <laughs> merchandise because they knew people were gonna buy it. <laughs> well, so see, to of, me, it, it it didn't feel all that egregious because like it at least for the most part it made sense. At least for the most part, it made sense when they would bring it up. Like like you know why did Yelena send the antidote to her sister well because her sister's an avenger and she could just give it to iron man or somebody and they can mass produce it why you know red guardian one like saw himself as being the captain america of russia and the problem is nobody else including his own superiors looked at him that way but he like so he's constantly telling telling made-up war stories (laughs) equating himself to being an equal to Captain America. And I think that not only like was it a good thing for them to evoke that character's name, I think it it was kind of essential to building who Red Guardian in this movie is. Because especially when he gets called out for it, like, like, dude, you're talking about stories that would have happened in the 80s. Captain America was still frozen. All of this, you know, like, stop lying. Like, and like when he's when he sees these his his you know quote unquote daughters for the first time in a decade, the first thing he has to ask Natasha is, so does uh does Captain America ever talk about me? Like <laughs> he he, is, he has so like it's it is it is a genuinely funny joke, but it is is also it shows you where he's at as a person because like all of his self worth is hung up on this idea that. He needs to be validated by being recognized as the same as this other similar person who became an icon of his nation, which is something he thought he too was going to be, but it never happened because it probably was never supposed to. That's true. And probably and maybe also because of the fact that how how he was unceremoniously treated, that these are the little things that he's trying to cling to just to still having still having importance i mean they all they all were funny i mean i'm not going to say that the, the avengers jokes weren't funny it's just i just look at it from the prism of where of, of where we of where we are now and it's like again it's like they tease us with all this stuff again like the, the thing in the eternals trailer about who's going to lead the avengers now and it's like which has nothing to do with with the eternals but they know people care about that so that's what that's why they put something in and it's just it's like how long are they going to drag it out before we even have any glimpse or any idea of what what the avengers actually are at this point and i don't mind it here again the context is it's it's cool you know you, you have this you know stuff about her you know her, yelena about thor not needing you know, to take you know aspirin uh, yeah. After fights and and the whole and of course the whole superhero landing thing was was appropriately funny. So that was yeah. And then she Yelena even does it herself later on. And as soon as she does, she could you can tell she's like visibly disappointed in herself. Yes, that's disgusting. <laughs> I think she says when she gets up, it's like oh disgusting. I mean she she is a good cat. I mean I knew, I had a feeling she'd be fi- feeling she'd be fine because Florence Pugh is pretty much good in everything. But I I'm. The Black Widow legacy is in good hands, having her continue yeah. continue on. So that, so that was. I mean, so it's again looking just looking at the movie, looking at the movie as a whole. I just think it's 
that's why I keep coming back to like, you know, inconsequential in this and just in the sense of the actual story we see on the screen. We know it's going to have ramifications because we know they have big plans for Florence Pugh. The odds are we're going to see Taskmaster again. We're going to see probably the, uh, some of the other Black Widows, Melina. Actually, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised about Red Guardian because I had heard a lot from a lot of different places that Red Guardian was going to die in this movie. Now, maybe he was and they changed it because they figured eh, it's David Harbour. We can people are going to like this character. Let's keep him around. Or maybe that's just one of those false things that got put out. But I was actually as one of the few things I was genuinely surprised at in this movie that he did not get killed by Taskmaster because I thought that was a given that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of Taskmaster? Because, I mean, it's basically 100 percent like they could have they could have just made an, an original character like the they played slightly with the concept of like, oh, oh, she can copy your fighting style. And like the first time we see her on screen, she's watching vid- a video feed of Hawkeye, which I guess explains how she was able to take that shot, that yep. one shot with the bow and arrow during the car chase. But uh, I don't know, like I'm I don't actually care that they ch- they changed the character's gender. I don't even care that they didn't do the costume very well. And I kind of like I I like the fact of who the villain who this villain is because it makes it makes good thematic sense for this story. But I'm I'm looking at like everything like this character is and does and looks like and I'm like this didn't actually have to be Taskmaster. Like the thing with the bow and arrow didn't have to be a bow and arrow and like at I spent most of the movie assuming it was a robot. Like, like, why did they make this Taskmaster? Again, to me, it's again, it's just set up. It's world building. I mean, did they? They could have introduced a version of Taskmaster down the road, but they could have done that. They chose to do this now. But again, that again, to me, the biggest, the biggest. I mean, there are some cool. There were nice homages in this movie. The idea about the, you know, about how much red was in her ledger. So that was a nice going back to the whole Loki conversation with with Black Widow in in the Avengers movie. The obviously you, you hear Clint though. I don't, I don't, you don't see. Well, you see him technically in the after credit scene, but he's not actually. You know, there's no. He's not acting in this movie. Let's put it that way. So and, some would argue he's not acting in very <laughs> many of these movies. <laughs> but. I just think it's superfluous on some level because it just it just exists for things they're going to do down the road. So it, if you never knew this, if you never knew this adventure took place, it wouldn't fundamentally change your view on Natasha. It wouldn't fun, you wouldn't need to know this. So, oh, without no, without seeing the story, we don't we would we'd never understand why she really sacrificed herself in Endgame. It's like yeah, you would. You don't you don't you don't really need to see. You know, you, in a way, I mean, even Civil War fleshed out a lot of that. I mean. You, you saw how important the Avengers were her were to her. And you also saw the, the conflict in her because there was the intellectual part of her that saw there was a merit to a certain degree in Tony's side or the the Accord side. But at the end of the day, nothing trumped her personal relationship and with with Steve. And and, and, and let's be honest now, if there's any if, uh, Jim posted this meme about it, about the like the two sides in civil war. If there's any, if there's any conflict about who actually turned out, who won civil war, <laughs> move beyond the philosophies of, of, of that were at play here. I mean, team cap t- 
turned out much better. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> and, and I don't mean because most of them are still alive. It's just the fact that the reality is almost every everybody but Spider Man, and he was not even an active Avenger. Everyone but Spider-Man eventually either turned on, turned away from Team Tony or at least turned away from the Accords. Even Rhodey turned away from the Accords in Infinity War when Ross wanted him to arrest, you know, Nat- Steven and Natasha's group. And it's like, no, not going to do that. That's a court martial. Boom. So I've, even Rhodey, who was the most one of the most vehement ones in favor of the Accords, eventually walked away from it. But almost everybody defected from Team Tony one way or the other, which isn't because of it isn't just because that. Their personal loyalty to, to Tony wasn't as strong as their personal loyalty to Cap on his team, though there is an element of that. Cap, there is a certain element of Cap that connects on a personal level that Tony that honestly doesn't. But it's not just that. It's just the the ties to the pro accords was much more intellectual. But then when the when the emotions came in, whether it's Wanda and Vision, or you know, or whether Black Panther once he realized what really happened, it's like, well, I'm out. And even and Natasha leaving, too, because it's like, I can't I have to go with where my heart is on this. Nobody, nobody left Team Cap. <laughs> nobody left. I mean, Natasha died, but she didn't leave Team Cap. Everybody was still loyal, including Ant-Man, including Hawkeye. Nobody left his side. But I just thought that meme was funny because he's showing the fate of everybody on Tony's team and how bad it was. Yeah. But I, I think. That again, in the context of you, you know, you knew from Civil War how important the Avengers were to her. And actually, even Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier is what really you got. To, you saw a little bit of the warmth in her in the Avengers. But Civil but uh, uh, Winter Soldier is where you really saw the thawing of Natasha based on her per, based on the, her personal interaction with Steve. Yeah, Winter yeah. Soldier is the movie that made me want this movie like that was. That like she and Steve like they had a good partnership and she was also like almost like a a big sister figure for him too like like the idea of Black Widow being a loner who's slowly growing a family like a surrogate family like it makes it 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 kind of like points towards the potential that this movie had because we get to see her slowly build to it like like okay here's here's her you know, finding a surrogate family with the Avengers. And that means so much to her. Why does it mean so much to her? Well, we're going to find out when she goes back and meets her first surrogate family and has to deal with all the baggage that got left behind with them. And honestly, I feel like most of the problems that we're talking about with this movie come from the fact that it had to be a prequel. Because, you know, hey, why why isn't it doing like like massive end of the world like super significant plot stuff because there was like three or four movies that took place after this where that stuff could never be referenced (laughs) and like you gotta you gotta try and tell a big enough story with a scope that can fit into the pre-established continuity and not be a thing where like well hey why didn't why didn't everyone else in the Marvel universe know about that? Why wasn't this all over the news before Thanos's minions attacked? You know, if this had just been a black widow movie that was made before infinity war, they could have done whatever story they wanted. And then had that, had those events carry forward in whatever way made sense, instead of limiting themselves by having to just retroactively 
make it fit in a way that won't upset anything. And I'm sure down the road, we will see the ramifications of this movie, not just in that, oh, Yelena and Red Guardian will come back. But like there by the by the end of this movie, there is like hundreds of of brainwashed Black Widows out there and dozens of non-brainwashed ones going to try and liberate them. So like I I feel like we're going to see a lot of this stuff come back later but it just wasn't possible to reference it before because it didn't exist before because they probably had no idea they were going to do it before. And I, I feel like like that's where most of the problems in this movie come from. I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I think we all, we all know while you can still tell a good story in a prequel that there's something inherently undramatic and un, I can't necessarily say uninteresting, but the stakes are always much lower in a prequel for the main characters are the focal point. Cause you know, one way or the other, you know what their fate is, you know, yeah, you know who, you know exactly who's safe. Like the, like we knew that Natasha had to live long enough to die. We were pretty sure that this movie was setting up Yelena to take Natasha's place later. So she was probably going to be fine. Like the, honestly, the, the character, the only characters that had question marks over their heads were uh, Red Guardian and Melina. And, you know, they ended up being okay. So I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I don't think you necessarily even need the threat or possibility of death to create tension in your story, but it certainly doesn't help when it's a flashback story and you know, you kind of know that everybody makes it out okay, unless the point of the story is to explore some other thematic idea, which, you know, I guess you you could kind of sort of argue that this movie does, but also kind of not. <laughs> that, that, that is true. Uh, it is, like for, like, for me, I, I look at this, and you, you look at, the, like, the after, the after credit scene. Now, the after credit scene is interesting, because I had heard that Yelena was originally supposed to be in... Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I don't know if this is the scene that was going to show up at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which on one level, like originally it wouldn't, so originally it wouldn't have made sense when, if this movie came out last year, when, when, if on time, but it's possible because I had heard that there, and I, cause I had heard that uh, Valentina was supposed to show up in the after with, <laughs> in an after, in an after credit scene. So like Falcon and the Winter movie, Soldier, it, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was already, stuffed with too much stuff i'm, right. I'm kind of glad they held her back well they they the, but the rash but the, if the rumor was true it was simply because even though we all knew yelena was coming we hadn't been introduced to her yet so that's why so the rumor was that they had that there was a, a scene that i that was very much like this was supposed to be falcon and the winter soldier one of their after credit scenes and then they decided to push it onto black widow which might be true because again because it would be really weird but then again, I had heard they were supposed to introduce Yelena, I mean, uh, Valentina, maybe in Black Widow previously. But that could have been a different scene that they had that they ended up cutting because of the fact that based on the release of these properties, we knew Fal- she, people were already going to see her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So you, so they, that scene, that introduction scene of her was no longer necessary. Uh, I just hope there's a Blu-ray feature where... Every time you just toggle it on, and then every time Valentina walks onto the screen, it plays the Seinfeld music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
what I find the interesting thing about the about the after credit scene to me is and we've kind of gotten hints of this before in the post endgame world. It's like it is quite interesting how seemingly how much of what actually went down in endgame everybody knows. Because it's certainly implying that people absolutely absolutely know that Natasha gave her life to get an infinity stone so they could reverse what, what Thanos did. Uh, and now I couldn't, it, it may not be as extreme as that, but it seems like a lot of people knew about what happened. I think they, I think even in WandaVision, there's some, there were some, some of those conversations about referring to, um, I'm trying to remember when it was, but it was something to do with either when, when she was seeing, seeing the body of the vision when they took her to the headquarters or, but I thought there was something that impl- that implied, you know, public knowledge again of the events, you know, the events of Endgame. So it's curious. It would really be curious to know how how much they really know about about what happened. That battle. I mean, they had to they had to find out something because obviously the world was going to know there was this huge battle in upstate New York because of what happened that day. But it isn't. But it, it's interesting that you know Natasha pretty much was. I mean, she deserved it. You know, people deserve to know. But if they really knew what happened, I don't necessarily know why it would be that easy to spin that. Oh, Barton really was the one responsible for her death when they were both they both were fighting each other for the right to off each other. <laughs> yeah, I am wondering how Valentina knew that. I mean, I just uh, I I took it as oh she knows about this stuff because she's some sort of like big government ish connected person. But at the same time, like, how would she know what happened be- to get that Infinity Stone on that alien planet in the future or something? <laughs> I mean, it could be where the, the public might know just a gen- that she generally sacrificed herself, but not all the details. But maybe somewhere, you know, in in the government files, they actually have, you know, you know almost like a debriefing of what happened. And because of her connections, that's but. It's more interesting to see why exactly, I mean, why exact, though it, it seems like she's, even without knowing her background in the books, she's certainly interested in putting together her own team. The question is why, in particular, why they'd be targeting Clint in particular. Uh, but that may not be, obviously, that may not be the only Avenger that she ends up targeting with, by, with one person or another. So. Yeah, could be to eliminate competition, could be to help cement Yelena's uh, 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 loyalty, as in like, hey, see, you you join my side and I'm hooking you up. Here's your sister's killer right here. Because I think and I think because who's who's she got now? She's got she's got Yelena, who's your Black Widow counterpart. She's got U.S. agent, who's your Captain America counterpart. She have a third person yet? I forget. No, I do not I, think so. I did see a sh- that Shang-Chi trailer seemed to have the abomination in it. Did. So maybe she'll have a Hulk counterpart. I don't, I don't know. That I'm would, just saying. That would make, yeah, that would make the most. <clears throat> I mean, and the abomination is supposed to be in the She-Hulk series too. So maybe, maybe that will be maybe relation in the, the relationship to, to abomination. Maybe that's where Valentina would show up again to maybe she is the one that, puts the abomination on the uh on the trail but so yeah i mean it's pretty i mean they're obviously putting together either the darker a dark avengers variant or or the thunderbolts one of the two so i think it would be cool if like like i think there's a lot of of creative opportunities with that being the first time we see like like the dark avengers should be 
the Avengers when Avengers come back and let that kind of like let that because God, I don't even know if you could do it. I don't know if you could do the Thunderbolts number one reveal with a with a giant movie these days, you know, like where you present this super team and I guess spoilers for Thunderbolts number one. (laughs) You present where like all like the premise of the Thunderbolts was, okay, we just had this huge event that that, you know, the Avengers and Fantastic Four have all disappeared. They're gone. The world needs heroes. Here's a team of brand new superheroes that no one's ever seen before, but damn it, they're they're honest and they're brave and they're fighting for us. And at the end of the first issue, it's revealed that they are secretly super villains who are posing as heroes in the absence of the Avengers so that they could basically take over the world from the inside, you know? And it, it was a fantastic trick. Nobody who read the issue saw it coming. And even if they're not trying to openly trick the audience, I think they could still pull off something great by exploiting the power vacuum that's left with the Avengers gone by having this, having um, Julia Louise Dreyfus <laughs> put together. <laughs> Valentina. <laughs> yeah. Have, have her, have her, have Elaine from Seinfeld put together this, this new Avengers team and, the public starts to embrace them, but actually like, Oh wait, well actually they're villains and they're you, they're exploiting all of the perks of being superheroes to, to do some real bad shit, whatever it is. And that is the thing that drives a new generation of actual Avengers to come together. I don't know how long-term that would have to be, but I kind of hope that's where they're going. (laughs) I mean, they, they, they they could, they could do some of it, they obviously can't do, you know, they, not just because we've seen that reveal before uh, in the books, but they could, they could, they could do part of it where the public at large was kept in the dark about what was going going on until you know until the right moment. But as far as keeping the audience in the dark, it would be really it, you could keep you could people <clears throat> keep people guessing that they wouldn't necessarily know, you know know what they think this team's they think this team's on the up and up, but you don't really know for sure. And I mean, as soon as John Walker shows up, people are gonna be like, "Ah, oh, fuck that guy." Well, all kidding aside, he's a little he's he's a little gray. He, I mean, in all honesty, right off the bat, I mean, Abomination would be a big, bigger giveaway from from uh, from our perspective. He would yeah. be a he would be a he would be a much better a bigger giveaway that this team is not, you know. So, but it ha- I mean that. That is something that they have missed because that's something I said a long time ago about about uh, Justice League. That one of the missed opportunities that they could have had because the one thing, one of the few things Marvel never did was we never had you know in the MCU we never had Super Team versus Super Team. We didn't have a Super Team of Heroes versus a Super Team of Villains. We never had a movie yeah. like that. So that was a way for DC to, <clears throat> to do something that Marvel didn't. And you know right you know like the the Legion of Doom or something like right have have a have a conflict there between these or having some you know these all these events going on and the world's in chaos and all these heroes are finding each other and and they don't even know each other all that well but they have to work together against you know this you know this league of villains so that's something that Marvel you know the MCU still hasn't given us or it would be it still would be cool to see a team of heroes versus 
a team of villains. The closest we got was Civil War with a team of heroes versus a team of heroes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there would be people saying like, oh, it's a good Avengers versus a bad Avengers. We did that already. But yeah, I, there's there's a lot of potential, especially like it would, especially if like they ever did the. Oh, God, I forget what event it was in Marvel Comics where the villains got together and realized or maybe it was DC. I don't remember anymore. Either DC or Marvel did a thing where they had the villains get together and realize that like, hey, you know, you by yourself have almost beat the 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 Avengers before. And I by myself have almost beat the Avengers before. And so, and that guy over there by himself almost beat the, the Avengers by himself before. So if all three of us work together, they couldn't stop us. And like, and that like created this like massive network of villains that was so much more w- capable than the heroes were because just because of the nature of like superhero team books, they're not always fighting like single, they're not always fighting t- full teams of villains. It's often like, oh, the, all of the X-Men versus just Magneto. That means that Magneto plus another main villain should be able to crush the X-Men. And like it operated on that logic. And the heroes were like on the run. And, and like it was genuinely a struggle for them to fight back. And I forget where I was going with this, but that Sorry. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but But I agree, because that's always a problem with having one villain take on a team of heroes is because it makes the villain look so much stronger and the heroes look so much weaker. So when you have Doctor Doom take on the whole Fantastic Four, it almost implies, yes, if he just was taking on one of the members, he'd be fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the only note I have left on this movie is that. I mean, it's, it's weird to say, but this movie had way more action than I expected. It had like 20 fight scenes and all of them are over the top in a pretty fun way. To the point that I almost wish there was more downtime and not downtime that was filled with with humor. Like that scene where where uh, Natasha, Yelena and Red Guardian were like their helicopter dropped out of the sky because it ran out of gas and they were just walking down that deserted <laughs> yes. road. I, I would have liked like, you know, what? give me five more minutes of them just walking through the middle of nowhere forced to have that conversation with each other. Like that's the, that's the, the real meat of this for me. And like, I think I, like, I agree with you. Like, uh, Yelena's actor, I forget her name. Florence. Uh, yeah, she was, she was really good. I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. I was surprised. I actually liked her during like the dramatic moments more than I liked her during the, the funny bantery moments like she sells like the the anguish of of like kind of confronting the truth about her past with these people really well and i i wasn't expecting anybody to be able to pull that off in a movie like this i agree i think the 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 family scenes were quite effective the scenes when they're sitting even just sitting around the table were i mean there is a lot of talking in this movie but but you, but you were correct. There's a lot of action too. But I think the family dynamic scenes actually do do work pretty well, and she she sells it. You know, she sells it the most. And but you're right that that the whole thing after the 
after the what the heli- the helicopter crashes or whatever and it's like uh and he's trying to give that horrible pep talk about how all <laughs> yeah. oh, the youngest assassin and you have killed so many people it's like and I, it, it just it just reminds me of, of thor saying about the hulk and about, about how it like just filled with the, with the screams of, the, of the, his victims or whatever and and bad it's like oh my god <laughs> Or like when he uh, when he was trying to make Yelena feel better about like I I don't even know what his point was but he's like look you shouldn't feel bad because one time I went ice fishing with my father oh yeah and my my hands got into the water and it was sub zero temperatures and I was gonna get frostbite and lose my hands so my father he went toilet on my hands and she's like oh my god he's like no 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 this is good this is good <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was the one thing. Yeah, you have to give. I mean, David Harbour was funny in in this in this movie. There's no. I mean, it was did they make his character out to be an idiot? Yes, and there were not. There really were no positive male characters in this movie. The closest one was her arms dealer guy, and even and even he was so. I mean, he wasn't a bad guy. He just was like nondescript. And oh yeah, movie. her her, uh, her contact there. Yeah. Right, but you know, but Drake. Uh-huh. Drakov is, you know, is just evil. And <clears throat> was it Alexi? Is that it? Was it? Was that? Was that? Alexi was the the dad. Yeah, the yeah. Red Guardian. Yeah. Uh, Red Guardian was just an idiot. Uh, yeah, but he really went for it though. Like, like you can say what you want about the character. David Harbour was there for it. He's like, he is like, it's like he knew the opportunity that he had, and is like, all right, I don't know if they're gonna make another one of these, so I'm just let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. No one can deny that. I am happy that most, for the most part, the fight scenes seem to get rid of all the annoying things about Marvel fight scenes. Like, like, with the exception of one, that one on the bridge at the beginning with with uh, her fighting Taskmaster, everything took place in the daytime in a well-lit space. There was almost no shaky cam. Like, you could actually follow what was going on like com- my most recent comparison point is the final episode of falcon and winter soldier where for where i i, I get why i understand from a, from a technical level why you set fight scenes in the dark because it's easy to cover stuff that doesn't look good or work or if you have to use cgi that isn't particularly great looking it like nighttime hides it at the same time that entire final episode took place in almost pitch blackness and i could not tell what the hell was happening for almost all of it so this movie was like a breath of fresh air because even during the fight on the bridge that happened in the in the middle of the night the bridge was on fire so i could see everything Like, like it's it seems like such a no brainer. Like if you're going to have like 20 minutes of action, make it visible. And they did it (laughs) just for you, Dan, just just for for me. They lit that bridge on fire just for me. A gesture I will always appreciate. (laughs) I get it, man. I agree. Any other thoughts? No, I guess not. Not really. I mean, I'm. I'm left, I guess the biggest tragedy of this movie is that I'm left wanting to see more of this family of characters. And I'll, I will probably never be able to see 
all four of them together again, unless they go back and do something in that two week period. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a movie that, that I do look forward to revisiting once it's, once it's uh, readily available on a, on like Blu-ray or, or a non pay, well, non paywalled streaming, whatever the hell we want to call regular Disney plus versus the, uh, the theatrical thing. But um, yeah, I'm glad that we finally got a Black Widow movie. I hate like hell that it happened when it happened. But uh, yeah, not bad. Yes, I would I would say that is, and not and not being funny, but that is probably the best way to describe it. It's it was enjoyable, it was entertaining. It's sad on one level we couldn't have got a better movie because you know there was a better movie to be made with that character if they had told it. In a different time frame, as in if they had put the movie on, on the, in the release schedule at a different time, as opposed to waiting till after she buys the farm. It's all. We can. I think it's only a matter of time before we get another Black Widow movie starring Elena. Oh yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And again, and 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 the world of multiverses and secret wars and all these other things that could happen. I mean, the odds are we're going to see Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow again anyway, regardless of what the context is. If it go, if the MCU goes on long enough, the odds are we'll see every we'll see everybody come back at least in some way, shape, or form, even if it doesn't affect anything in our current timeline. But the odds are, it's very unlikely we'll see the end, the last of anybody. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan, push your channel. Speaking of none of that, if you want to <laughs> see videos where I talk really intelligently, maybe about Green Lantern, uh, go to actually I got a. What is the link? I just got a new link. You got, it a, is, you got a new link? Yeah, well, youtube.com slash C slash Mosaic Comics. Before it was a whole bunch of gibberish numbers. Um, I'll have to change the link then. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think the old one still works, but yeah, change that. Basically, just like how Jim Ford started this podcast because he really wanted to listen to a Green Lantern podcast, but one didn't exist, so he made one. I was looking around and I couldn't find any analytical video essay style content about Green Lantern. So I made one and it's I'm cover I'm, I kind of bounce around all over the 81 year history of the franchise, cover new stuff, old stuff, just whatever obscure thing I can think of that that doesn't usually get talked about. Like, hey, did you know there's a golden age star sapphire? I didn't until recently, and so pretty soon you'll be able to go to my channel and learn all about it. So that is Mosaic Comics on YouTube. Go there, click around, see if there's anything you like, and if you do, maybe consider subscribing and tell a friend. Share the joy with others. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. Um, so our our lesson. Yours was much more interesting, but here's here's the standard closing I have to give. Uh, LanternCast.com, LanternCast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Hashtag GeoCast to track us down there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. All of those platforms, one of those platforms, wherever you listen to us, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, 708 Lantern is the place to voicemail or text. 708 Lantern. And let us know what you think. And I don't know what's coming up next. It might be, it might be last ride. I think it might, that might be the, 
we got to talk about Loki too. That's 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 something that the can's been kicked down a little too far down the road already. And <laughs> I know Infinite Frontier three came out technically today. I don't have it yet, but I know we're yeah. gonna do two and three together since we kind of basically talked about two for the most part when we did one when we did one in secret files. So there's no yeah. point doing an episode on just on two. Yeah, I did I did a video about just issue one and. It, and I decided, like, okay, I'm going to do one of these a month and just, like, do, like, oh, issue two and three together and then four and five together. This is a really slow-paced story that I think I'm probably going to do, like, one more one more installment that covers all of it once it's done. Because something – I was I went into Infinite Frontier, the six-issue miniseries, thinking it was DC's big summer event. But now I think you're, you were right in what you said on a, pr- a prior episode that it's kind of the setup for a big event that will probably be next year. I just, I mean, I just thought that simply because it's just, they haven't, first of all, they haven't built this mini series up to be much of anything. And this, and they just have, they're trying to establish the boundaries uh, and what exactly this, the omniverse means or what we're supposed to assume that it means. So they're, I mean, they clearly are laying the groundwork for some, for a dark side to whatever his agenda is. I'm, we probably will know what his agenda or at least a decent part of his agenda is by the end of this mini series. And then, and then next year, if I all bets are off, but they'll want to push one way or the other, you know, they're going to want to push this thing to make it as big as a mini series can be with, another one about dark side, but you know, yes. you know, you know, that they're, they're going to try. So, they, yes. so I guess we're going to find, we're going to full, we'll, we'll revisit all our thoughts on this. And, and after three more issues of infinite frontier, and then we'll have a, probably a better idea of where we think this is going and whether we're more intrigued or less intrigued from where we were to start with. But, and clearly you'll be back once we get to green lantern five, right? Five, right. We're up to five. will be the next Yeah. Five, one. five is next. That's, is that next week? It's either, it's, not, it's either next week or the week after. Yeah, and before and then we have another few weeks before we get to the annual. But you'll be back as often as you want, Dan, so get ready. <laughs> I still have keys. Yes, you do. <laughs> God, we've been going as long as we do when Chad's here. Yes, but the topics are much more interesting tonight. <laughs> uh, I might actually leave that in because the odds are he's not going to listen to this episode because he hasn't seen Black Widow. <laughs> God. Hey, everybody, Chad was just on the Dr. DC podcast. They talked about Ragman for some reason. And <laughs> you should you should write in or leave voicemails just just like roasting Chad for being a Ragman fan. I don't know. Just send feedback. It's It'll be great. You can speak about the whole rag family, rag weed, wash rag, dish rag. <laughs> They have one of those giant size, like like Superman family hundred page specials. <laughs> Just for the, uh, we shouldn't give them any ideas. But all right, I think we'll call it a night. So <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night.